All right, so for those of you that don't know me, my name is Heather. Um, oh, got hair all up in my mouth. Um, I work here at the church, and I get to be a part of student ministry, and I lead the 10th grade girls life group on Sunday mornings. So if you're in 10th grade, hey, hey. Oh, stop it, stop it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so tonight, we are going to continue this series on worship. It's called Beat, What Happens When the Music Stops. And for the past couple of weeks, Caleb's been talking about um, what is worship, why do we worship, and, and, and all these different things. And tonight, we're going to continue in that. Um, but before we kind of jump into that, I have a confession to make, guys. For those of you that know me, this probably won't come as a shock at all. But I am slightly OCD. Okay. And I know it's a complete shocker. And I love when things just perfectly fit where they're supposed to. When something is just beautifully, it's perfect. It hasn't been messed up. It's where it's supposed to be. That brings my heart great joy and satisfaction. So have you guys ever scrolled through Facebook or Instagram or whatever you're on and you see those pictures or those videos of just oddly satisfying things? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, where it's just like things perfectly fit where they're supposed to. I'll, I have a couple of pictures that when I was looking just brought my heart so much joy. Guys, look at that. That is a beautiful, like no one has skied, snowboard, like that is beautiful. No, that is beautiful. That hasn't even been touched yet. That is beautiful. And then the next one, this one, whew, look at that. Look at that. That, it's, it's color coordinated. It's all lined up. The labels are all turned the right way. Oh, it's beautiful. See, I'm telling you, it's beautiful. And then the last one, okay, I actually, I actually used to work at a clothing store, and because, guys, you gotta get, you gotta have a job, okay? That top row of t-shirts right there, you better believe that when I was folding t-shirts, my piles of t-shirts looked like that. Yes. That was a big spider because I could see it from here. <laughs> yeah. Aiden, way to take care of that. Um, yes, let's give it up for Aiden. So, that stuff like this, it brings my heart great joy. But when things do not fit perfectly like they are supposed to, my heart rate kind of goes up a little bit. And it makes me a little bit um, anxious or like I just have this need to fix it. Like, take a look at this, for example. No, that is a monster right there. Yes, you had one job. Come on now. Couldn't put them in the right spot. Okay, now this next one. Who does that? Who does that? You were perfect all the way until that one square. What is wrong with you? And then, guys, if you do this next thing, you are just... break it like no what you don't break what oh okay I got you I'm tracking with you now so yes break them you don't bite them you monster 
No, no, no. So, when I see stuff like that, it frustrates me because it does not fit where it's supposed to. It doesn't fit perfectly like it's intended to be. I'm gonna be honest with you guys, second confession of the night. When I was planning and prepping for this evening, I found myself getting so frustrated, like unbelievably frustrated because the word worship to me has always kind of been this abstract idea. Is it singing? Is it serving? Is it how I live my life? What is it? How do I define worship? What box can I put it in that it just fits so perfectly and beautifully in there? And as I began to study and think, I realized that it wasn't the concept of worship that I was frustrated with, because you have to understand, because I'm OCD, I am also a, um, a concrete thinker. I see things in a very black and white way. I don't really see a whole lot of gray area. So when things don't fit perfectly where they're supposed to, it frustrates me. And as I was studying and, and like kept pushing through, I realized it wasn't worship that I was frustrated with. Tonight, we're going to be talking about who you worship or what you worship, because for some of you, it may not actually be God that you worship. And it frustrated me because as I was studying and trying to figure out how to tell you who God is, to present to you who this person or this being is, I couldn't make him fit in my little boxes. And it frustrated me. And so finally, about midweek, God just kind of smacked me upside the head and was like, Heather, what are you doing? Why are you trying to shove me in a box? I don't fit there. I'm greater than what your preconceived ideas of what I should be. And you can't do that. So I wish I could say that once that kind of clicked with me, it was easier. But as I was writing this and thinking about tonight, I still had to fight that. And I still had to step outside of that preconceived idea and say, you know what, God, you are greater than any label that I could give you any um, title that I could put on you. You are greater than that. So tonight, what we're going to look at is who do you worship? And we're going to look at four major characteristics of who God is. And for some of you guys, when I said we're going to talk about who God is, you just clicked your brain off because you're like, I already know who God is. I come to church. I go to a Christian school. I have Christian parents. Guys, flip that switch back on. Because we, when we hear the name of God all the time, we kind of become desensitized to it. Like it doesn't phase us anymore. We're like, oh yeah, I know who God is. I got that. And we just kind of move on to the next thing. But guys, I want you to step back and look with me tonight who God is and why it is that we should be in awe of him, should be in amazement of who he is because he's done some incredible things for us. So the first one that we're gonna take a look at is God is our creator. Now, when we look at God as our creator, what does the word creator even mean? When we take a look at the definition of it, it says a person or thing that brings something into existence. And the synonyms include author, designer, inventor, originator. Now, when I'm talking about God, I'm, I really like that synonym right there, originator. God literally came up with anything and everything that you look at. Everything that you see, he created. Now, the, the verse that we're going to look at, it's only four words. It's not even actually the whole verse. 
The very first verse in the Bible, it's Genesis 1-1. And it says, in the beginning, God. Guys, before time, before anything else existed, there was God. And I know that that can sometimes be hard for our minds to understand because we're like, well, how was God created? How did he get there? And it, it kind of turns into this ugly, like, well, who created him and who created him? And it, it just never ends. But remember how I said that God doesn't fit inside of our boxes? That's one thing that I had to work through this week is just because I don't understand it, that's no reason for me to limit God. Um, so in the very beginning, there was God. Now I want you to picture something. How many of you in, in here are kind of like, you enjoy art, you're an artist, you enjoy painting, drawing, stuff like that. Yeah, some of you, others of you are like, no, I hate that. It's the worst thing in the world. Well, I suck at it too, it's okay. So an artist, when they are painting, they have a completely blank canvas in front of them right? They can create anything they want. They have this ability to kind of, um, their imagination is the limit kind of thing. At the beginning of time, when there was nothing, there was no water, there was no earth, there was no anything. God had a completely blank canvas and he could have created anything that he wanted. And I think sometimes we lose, sometimes we lose focus on that. Because out of everything that he could have created, guys, he chose to create us. He chose to create you. He chose to create me. And the awesome part about that, though, is that if you look around at the people next to you, every single one of you are individual and unique. No two are alike. I know for me, I am not that creative. So after about like the third or fourth creation, I'd been like, all right, well, let's just copy that, copy, paste, copy, paste. And we just like keep rolling through. Um, but that's not how God was. He was, cre- um, sorry, he was creative in what he did. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And I think sometimes we lose awe of that. We lose focus of that. And I want to read you guys um, a verse out of Psalms, but I want to read it to you in the message just because I really like the picture that it paints. And it's Psalms 193. You guys have heard it before, but it says, yes, you shaped me first inside then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I even lived one. Guys, God knew you from the beginning of time. He knew what you would be like, what your aspirations are, what you um, struggle with, what you, um, some of your sinful tendencies are. He knew everything about you. He knew it all. Um, But sometimes we lose focus inside of that and how unique and how marvelously made we are. The last thing that I want to move, like just hit on really quick before we move to the next point is that while we were in the garden and while he created you uniquely and why he chose to create you, one thing that I think we skip over is that guys, he gave you the choice to choose him. When he put that tree in the garden, when he, the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you know, the one that Adam and Eve ate from, when he put that tree in the garden, that was God's invitation to choose. He said, I don't want you to be a robot. I don't want you to worship me because I command it of you and because I make you worship me. 
I want you to worship me because you choose me. So that, that tree in the center of the garden, that was God's invitation for us to choose him. But the beautiful thing about that is that even from the very beginning, when we had this choice, God had a backup plan. He knew what would happen. He knew that Adam and Eve would sin. He knew that they would screw up. So he had a backup plan from the very beginning. And we're gonna hit on that in a little bit. But guys, I just want you to understand that, that we worship God as creator because he chose to create you out of everything that he had the capacity and the capability and the creativity to make. He chose to make you and he made you for a reason. Don't throw that to the side just because, oh yeah, I, I get it, God's creator. No, God, he made, he made you for a purpose. And he allowed you to choose him. The second point that I'm going to hit on really quick is the fact that God is unique. Now, when I say that God is unique, what I mean is there are other religions in the world. They all have their, their gods that they worship. But the thing about God and him being unique is that he pursues you. Every other religion in the world that you see, you have to beg and plead for that God to stay. You have to work as hard as you can to earn that God's favor and to be good enough to, to eventually be with them. But God said, no, my goal, my original purpose was to dwell with my people in that garden. And that's not gonna change just because you messed up. He said, I'm coming to you. And so we see through the course of history and through scripture, how he pursues his people. Even when they reject him, even when they crucify him, even when they do all of these horrible things. But guys, this, he does that for us as well. He pursues you despite your failures, despite your sins, despite your screw-ups, despite whatever it is. He pursues you and he does it relentlessly. There's a verse in Psalms 23. Yes, Psalms 23, um, where it paints the picture of Jesus as our shepherd. And he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, for some of you, when you go and look at your footnotes in your Bible, you'll see that the word mercy actually can be interchanged with this concept of steadfast love. And the other thing is, is that the word follow doesn't actually give you a very clear picture of what that's saying. Because the concept of follow is like, oh yeah, I'm just following behind them. I'm just kind of tagging along. I'll, I'll be right behind them if they need me. But when you actually look at the original word, what that word literally means is to pursue. And it gives this idea of like a hunter that's going after um, their prey or whatever you want to call it. But it's relentlessly pursuing it's pursuing without ceasing. So I kind of reworded um, this verse a little bit to give you a, a clearer picture in my mind. And it says, surely his goodness and steadfast love will pursue me relentlessly all the days of my life. Guys, that is amazing. Do not lose sight of that fact that even when you mess up and even when you screw up and even when you think you know it all, he still relentlessly pursues you and he chases after you. Um... The last thing, the last two that we're gonna take a look at is this idea of him being our savior and him being our king. But guys, I want you to understand that before you can worship him as your, before you can worship him as your king, you have to worship him as your savior. What I mean by that is that I think sometimes in Christianity and like our verbiage that we use and all of the words that we say, 
A lot of times you'll hear people use the word follow and believe interchangeably, but they're two distinct things. To believe is a very like head knowledge thing. It's about like knowing something, but to follow is action oriented. So when you look at Christ as your savior, you, you have a knowledge, you have an understanding of what it is that he did for you. But when you follow Christ as king, that's action oriented. You're doing something, you're living a certain way. So we're going to quickly like look through these uh, just really fast. So remember when I said that God had a backup plan from the beginning of time when we were in the garden and we screwed up? There's a verse in Ephesians chapter one that kind of points that out and gives us this picture and this idea of what's actually happening here. And when you flip over to Ephesians one, verse five, it says, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Guys, from the beginning of time, I don't want to get into the whole like predestination debate, like who gets to go to heaven? Who doesn't? When you look at this verse, what it's showing is from the very beginning of time, God had this contingency plan. If we didn't choose him in that garden in that moment, he said, no, I'm still going to pursue you and I still want to be with you. So I'm going to send my son for you. And when you continue down, in Ephesians verses seven through 10, it says in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And I love that word lavish because he doesn't just kind of like throw grace at you and kind of like sprinkle you with it. And he's like, here's a little bit for you. Here's a little bit for you. I don't really have enough for everybody. No, he lavishes it upon you. He throws it on you. He floods you with it. So guys, no matter what you've done, because I would be stupid to sit here and think that no one in this room has completely screwed up. I've screwed up. We've all screwed up. But guys, his grace is sufficient to cover that. He gives us something that we don't deserve. He sent his son for us. In John 1, it talks about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Guys, Jesus literally left the comfort of heaven to come and live on this like earth where people would mock him and ridicule him and ultimately crucify him. But he chose to do that. Knowing what the outcome would be, he chose to do that. And I pray that you guys never, ever lose sight of that. Because if we're ever here as sinners, and God is over here in heaven, how do we get to him? There's this huge gap between us. There's this huge just valley that we can't cross. We need a bridge to get there. And that's what Jesus was. Jesus was our bridge. He said, I'm coming so that you can have forgiveness and ultimately spend eternity with me, with the father. And so he acts as that bridge and we get to go be with him. Now, the last point is worshiping God as king. For some of you, you worship God as savior. You understand who he is, you know what he's done for you, but you do not worship him as king. Because the word king implies that somebody has the ability to rule over you, to speak into your life, to um, kind of put out a decree that you follow and that you obey. When you look at scripture, he's referred to as king of kings and lord of lords and how um, his, his kingdom is something that is not shakable. 
how as kingdoms come and go, guys, and you can look through that, you see it through the history of time, there are kingdoms that, that rise and they fall. But guys, God's kingdom is consistent and it's steady and it's never changing. This is something that I've asked um, some of the girls in my, in my small group before and, and on different retreats and stuff like that. And I wanna ask you guys the same question. Who is it that sits on the throne of your heart? And I know that for some of you, that sounds like super girly and cheesy and corny and I get it, it does. But guys, you are ruled by something. Something has control or power over you. Something rules you. And for some of you, it is relationships. It's that boyfriend, it's that girlfriend. For some of you, it's your athletics, that you are going to strive to be the greatest player on your team. Some of you, it's academics, whatever it is. For some of you, it's social media. For some of you, you are so focused on getting that perfect picture that you can post so that everyone sees the perfect life that you have. Guys, that's what rules you. That's what consumes your thoughts. But guys, all of those things that I just listed are gonna leave you empty because you have to continually strive to appease that king, to make them happy because they're always gonna demand more of you. They're gonna say, you're not good enough. No, 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 try harder. No, 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 that, that wasn't a good one. You try again, start over. But when you live under the rule of Christ, when you live and allow him to be king of your life, he says, you know what? Just come to me. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm not gonna be one of those kings that, that throws out decrees on a, on a whim that says you are going to live your life based on what I think and what, you know, how I feel in the moment. God is never changing. He's consistent. And he says, come to me. I will protect you. I will give you rest. So guys, when we look at worshiping Christ as king, we worship him as king because he's the only one that will bring us peace and satisfaction. Everything else, you are constantly gonna have to strive to come after. So guys, we're gonna close here in, in just a minute. And what I want you guys to do is as we're closing, we're gonna close out and just worship. We're gonna spend this time worshiping God. And as we're doing it, I want you to remember who it is that you're worshiping. He is your creator. He made you and he chose to make you. He pursued you. He's your savior. He's the one that paid the price for you. And I hope that you worship him as king, someone that, that looks after you and, and protects you and, and is fair and just. But guys, I, I hope that as you're worshiping, you aren't distracted by the people next to you, that you really think for just a minute and are in awe of who God is. Don't ever lose sight of that. I pray that you never become desensitized to who God is because there it's just a, it's a nasty downward spiral. So guys, as we worship, worship God for who he is and what he has done for you and that he chose to do for you. He could have started over. He could have made anything that he wanted but guys, he made us in his image. He made us in his likeness.